Hi, this is Matt Kempel, co-owner of Milwaukee's premier live comedy spot, The Laughing Tap, and founder of the Milwaukee Comedy Festival. I hope everyone is ready for a great show tonight. Make sure you have turned off your electronic devices and keep talking to others in your group to a minimum. With that, I'd like to bring on tonight's headliners, Jim Martin and Chris Beyer. It's season six of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Jim Martin. Here with my co-host, as always, Chris Beyer. Hey, Jim. Hey, Chris. Tonight, we have uh, our, our guest has uh, laid over into our second half of our interview here. He was, he was with us uh, generously donating his time to talk about the Tour de France earlier. So he is the founder and co-partner and owner of uh, the Tour of America's Dairyland, which has just completed its 14th year. Otherwise known as Toad. Otherwise known as Toad, yep, that's T-O-A-D. Mm-hmm. So uh, little, he, people here, I, I used to hear people, oh, that Toad, Toad, I don't know what they're talking about. Right, right. Okay, too, okay, makes sense to me now. So so uh, Mr. Tom Schuler is here with us, also a, a former professional cyclist. Always nice to have Tom here, and thanks for sticking around for the extra half hour, Tom. Great Appreciate to be here. To yeah. do a bonus round, yeah, bonus, bonus round. lightning right. round. Yeah, this one's this one's on us. This one's free. Our, our, our uh, listeners are not paying for this. Yeah. We talked about uh, the race, which just concluded uh, the 14th year that he talked about, and he said more successful than ever. Yeah, we um, sometimes you can't, you don't know why, and and I think there's a couple of reasons why we had a successful race. One where our our crowds were over the top. How about weather? Think, that might be big. Oh, that has yeah. a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Probably number one in the lightning round is weather. <laughs> we had uh, no rain until the final day in Wauwatosa Village, okay. where we had just a little shower during the w- professional women's race, and then it dried up because right after the women's race, we always sandwich our community events, which is, I think, the world's biggest kids' race in the world. Oh, yeah. In Wauwatosa, right after the pro women. And the kids dried the course off oh, for nice. the pro men. So we really <laughs> just had like four laps of rain, the final four laps of the women's race, and they didn't crash. I, I oh, checked good. afterwards, no one crashed. And the the course in Wauwatosa is often our riders' favorite course. It's the most technically challenging, and it has a good hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Which one do they go up? So we go up uh, Underwood to Harmony, mm-hmm. and then down on, what is that, uh, Wauwatosa Avenue, back down to State Street. Okay. But before we get to State, we take a sharp left at the bottom on Blanchard. Okay. Blanchard to 72nd, mm-hmm. which is the corner that Lefts is on. Right. Mm-hmm. And the final corner is at Lefts at 72nd and State, and then we come back west on State Street and finish right at that sort of junction at uh, Wauwatosa Avenue and State. So it's sort of like a bow tie mm-hmm. or a hourglass where we meet in the middle, and it's really a nice area. And down by Bucketobin and the Hollander um, is a very nice plaza. That's corner one. So just it was so festive. It was like a you were in a, a European setting or something where there was a bike race going on. Yeah. Lots of great yeah. parties, yeah. people out seeing their friends. It was really a nice day. Let me start on a downer here. We'll, we'll get the downer out of the okay. way here all first. Right, all right. Tour de Suisse uh, a week or two ago. There was a death in the yeah. Pro Peloton. Yeah. Uh, a dangerous descent. Well, they're all dangerous when they're going that yeah. fast. The guy went off the road, went down the ravine, was killed. Gino Mater uh, from the Bahrain team. Cycling is an inherently dangerous sport. 
Can anything be done to make it safer? What do you guys do to make it safer? Does everybody just have to accept that bad things can happen? Yeah, so crashes always happen. And when you actually slide on the road, that's okay. You get skinned up. You might break a collarbone. You might break a wrist. But it's really when you go over the edge or hit something stationary. So we try to eliminate that, that possibility. We use pads on some of the dangerous uh you know light poles and that kind of thing solid objects that are near the road but um you know you cannot eliminate every risk mm-hmm. so we have the best medical team in the business mm-hmm. uh freighter sports medicine mosh uh, midwest orthopedic specialty hospital has been with us for 15 years 14 years we've only been around 14 years and they i think it's the best the best team in the business so we do what we can but again, we had um, we have crashes every day, and usually it's scrapes and bruises, and then um, a broke, couple broken bones, and hopefully that's all it is. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we talked about this in the interview that we did back in season two. So if you're interested in Tom's professional cycling career, we you can listen back to those episodes. But just briefly, what was the worst incident that happened to you as a professional cyclist? I was pretty lucky. I knocked some teeth out one time. I had I I, I don't think I broke a bone ever from. Uh, uh, bike racing so uh okay. knocked wow. some teeth out um that wasn't even from a racing crash i broke a bone thing. as a swimmer i don't know yeah. how th- <laughs> <laughs> um i was pretty fortunate on the crash scene i i averaged about one a year if mm-hmm. you can imagine that but you know the speeds are so much higher now everyone's got the radios their race director saying get up to the front it, there's a lot more crashing now speeds are higher more um, risks they're riding taking more risks they're taking more risks mm-hmm. the payoffs are you know it's it's uh what, what we don't like to see during the Tour of America's Dairyland is some of the, the, the beginning categories race like they have the skills of a professional. You know, the professionals oh. can do, mm-hmm. can ride a different line, can ride closer together. They know how everyone's going to react. But it's when, you know, uh, beginners are trying to emulate. And that's why they eliminated that, you know, the super tuck position, right? right? Pros can handle it, no problem. But the... When amateurs emulate that, it gets a little dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like poker. They say, you know, professional poker players hate playing with amateurs because they just can't. I mean, they just don't know what they're doing. But anyway. Uh, regarding Toad, sponsors, whether they be for the teams and the riders or whether they be for uh, the race itself, that's a big undertaking, isn't it? Yeah, so um, we count on our revenue sources, our uh, rider entries, the cities pay us a, a co-fee to, to host the thing because the cost to, to run each day. So we get a fee from each city, and we have many, many sponsors. So our sponsorship was very solid. Uh, one of my co-founders, Bill Koch, does such a good job with sponsorship, and he was a career salesperson, so he knows how to you know, just take good care of sponsors and, and deliver what we promise. So we try to promise... Um, good representation in the community and all the communities we go to. And I think we deliver in that to our sponsors. And then we have a, we end up throwing a great party in all these cities. So again, our crowds, our social media this year was to the next level, our media overall in our social media, we had had a really good King led by Lai King, uh, Moy, another one of our partners. So, um, and then Andrew Fry, another partner, he and I kind of do the technical aspect of all these race courses. But Lai King Moy just did a phenomenal job working with On Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of that marketing agency yeah. as our lead agency. And then we had many uh, social 
um, influencers with us every day. So we really, our media was way up and it shows because, you know, that's how people learn about things nowadays. You know, sure. we used to spend money in the Journal Sentinel. Mm-hmm. Um, we now we spend money in social media mostly. Yeah, it probably I would imagine it's getting easier. The bigger you're getting, the more popular it's probably getting. Uh, you know, easier to get those sponsors. They see that this is something. This is a big deal. It's know? ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like uh, it's a mini state fair, if you will, in sure. in these different hometowns. We were up in De Pere which is, of course, a suburb of Green Bay. We are in Manitowoc. We are in Janesville. This year. We are in East Troy. Yeah, De Pere was our one new venue this year. Mm-hmm. Of course, we raced in West Allis, in Wauwatosa, Sherwood, Downer Avenue, and I'm probably forgetting one or two in there, um, down in uh, Mount Pleasant, mm-hmm. uh, down by Foxconn. Where's the money go? Uh, the money comes in from the sponsorships. Uh, what's the those are the that's the that's the revenue what's the outgo so our number one um expense is prize money over a hundred thousand dollars in prize money and then over the 11 days and you know i don't know what our next category would probably be maybe what about police suppliers so each of our partner cities provides that uh they're responsible for that police DPW is You're not on, paying overtime for police force. We aren't. Our partner cities are. Okay. okay. So when we partner with the Tosa, uh, Village of Wauwatosa, mm-hmm. or is it called Tosa Village mm-hmm. Business Improvement District, right. um, they're responsible for the police costs on that. So, okay. you know, there's some, the influence in De Pere, we have no sway with, uh, with De Pere if they want to give us a break on police costs, right? Mm-hmm. But- our sure. partner up in De Pere might have that influence and to maybe pay 50% of those costs. So that's a, a more effective way to partner. Our model is, quite frankly, like the Tour de France. The Tour de France goes to all these cities, and they say, who wants a stage in your in your town? Yes, I want a stage. Well, this is what it's going to cost, and we need this many hotel rooms, and you have to throw in your local police, make sure the roads are good. Our model is really like that for 11 days. Mm-hmm. And we're the... There's only one other race that I know of um, that does it this way, and that's in Chicago. There's a 10-day race in Chicago called the Intelligentsia Cup that's run the same way, Hmm. where we actually get a fee from the places we race. There's there's probably some other race, but um, I'm not aware of it in the United States. Are there more cities that are looking for stages than stages available? Yeah, generally, yes. Generally, we have a couple that are trying to get in. We don't have enough room. And usually we have about one new city each year. This year, our new city was De Pere. Mm-hmm. And I just can't remember who dropped out last year. Just can't remember. Well, you used to have the one right here in Tosa in the well, no, North Avenue district. The now it's in the village. Moved, down no, the, the, one, the one here on East, on North Avenue just dropped into the village. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, did they dissolve? No, there never was a business improvement district here in East east tosa they were trying to form one so it was the east tosa neighborhood association that was our host here Oh, okay Mm -hmm. and then we when they decided after five six years the village of wabatosa picked it up in a heartbeat right yeah yeah that's interesting because i always thought it was i thought you decided like oh was it better maybe a better uh, course or something like that but it wasn't didn't have anything to do with you follow the money no we try to (laughs) we try to be very loyal to our incumbent cities like they They have right of first refusal on that day and on that location. If there's, if we think 
they can improve on the course we tell them. But generally, what we do is we pick a, we review different courses, we pick a course, and we might tweak it in year two. Okay. Or we might want to move the finish line. A lot of times there's construction. Oh, yeah. In um, mm -hmm. Shorewood, almost every year there's construction somewhere, often on Oakland Avenue. So we have to flip-flop, but we have we always keep the start-finish line on Oakland Avenue. Okay, sure. So, you know, it, yeah. it, construction plays a big role uh, in what where we can race sometimes. Right. Now, the answer to this next question might be Tom Schuler, but my question is this. It's kind of like a Jeopardy thing. Who is Tom Schuler or what is Tom Schuler? Why Milwaukee? Uh, this is one of the largest races of its kind in the United States. Why have we been able to do this not only with Toad, but Super Week in, in years before? Uh, why has this model been successful in this area? So, yeah, two words. Tom Schuller. Tom Schuller, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Otto Wentz. Okay. Otto Wentz was, uh, father was immigrated from Germany, and they all bike raced in that family. They settled in Milwaukee. They open up grocery stores. He owned the Century Store right on Downer Avenue. Um, if you remember that Century Store that now is a CVS okay. right okay. across from the Hollander there on Downer Avenue. Um, that's where our Downer Avenue race you know, finishes. And Otto Wentz in 1969, um, when Summerfest just started, Summerfest was open to you know, Milwaukee-centric activities whether it was juggling or, or you know umpa bands or cycling so there was the summerfest grand prix mm -hmm. as a a sideshow if you will to summerfest so in 69 <laughs> the summerfest grand prix started that was the start of super week so we have a long history of uh, of bike racing in milwaukee that people remember and the thing that otto did is he had like a mini tour to france our same model he had mm -hmm. He built it up in the 20th year. We just had the program uh, with us, uh, 18 stages, 18 days in a row. Wow. Crazy. Wow. And and they did it basically in volunteers and friends and you know that kind of thing. So we were able to uh, – the legacy there has allowed us to, you know, uh, you know build on the, the uh, shoulders of giants, which are Otto Wentz and his Milwaukee Wheelman Bicycle Club. Back then um, – Chris, you you want to know? There's lots of clubs here. There's the spokes, uh, the Tosa spokesman, right. and and you know was uh, Team Wisconsin and many bike clubs in Wisconsin. There was one bike racing club. If you wanted a, a bike race, it was the Milwaukee Wheelman. Okay, I think I've heard so. Of that. They were sort of the founding uh, group of the of Super Week, including Otto Wentz, right, as the leader. Right. It, it's as with a lot of things, it's tradition. Right. Somebody starts the ball rolling. And then people get attracted to it because it's an ongoing proposition. Whether it be like high school sports, you know, there's always some high school that's got a good football team. Why is it? Because they had a good coach. And then that guy got people interested at the grassroots, and then it took off from there, right? And same with cycling in Milwaukee, that there's just this tradition. And, and you're you're the next one holding on to the baton, you know, moving it forward. Exactly. And an interesting story on Otto that I appreciated as a, I was coming up in the era where we were receiving – merchandise prizes because if you wanted to uh you know go to the olympics you couldn't receive cash mm -hmm. well that was just changing when i was starting to race in the 70s mm -hmm. and literally otto wentz was the first person who figured a way out to give the riders cash 
and hmm. literally he would he would give it to you in an envelope kind of behind the stage and slowly <laughs> frank shorter he figured that out yeah it was so and, his and the technology was the envelope that was <laughs> yeah and and fifty dollar bills yeah, yeah. and <laughs> so the uh you know that slowly changed frank shorter in, in track and field said no these athletes you know were, were competing against east germans and russians that are getting paid full time yeah. mm-hmm. and we're telling these people they can't get paid for anything no salary no prizes so prizes we cycling quickly changed that and we were by the 80s you know we were getting paid and we we're getting uh prize money a, a you know plenty a plenty at that time mm-hmm. but in the 70s it was all kind of under the table and auto was in the early 70s like mm-hmm. 1970 71 auto was the really the first person to do that because he wanted american cyclists to be successful right. he wanted mm-hmm. them to be able to uh, uh, you know, not have to work. The best ones, they could earn it through cycling. He brought the envelopes. He brought the table. He brought to put the it table. underneath the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, so yeah, there was another technological <laughs> advancement. Yeah, yeah. You bring that table, right. you bring the envelope, and then... Well, it was a folding table. Yeah. That was his technology. It was a card table. Yeah, yeah. card table, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about that in that other interview. We talked about how the changing face of amateur athletics, which became professional athletics, and now you're seeing it in things like the NCAA, right, where exactly those imaging uh, deals that that uh, it was brought a soup brought by Ed O'Bannon, I believe, from University of uh, UCLA, and he was a professional basketball player. But before that, he was a he was a college basketball player, and I think there was a, a video game with his image on it, his name in this UCLA jersey, and he did he wasn't getting a dime from it, and so he filed suit and and won, and that's how. Uh, they were able to now uh, the image and likeness is not owned by the school that the uh, that the player has a hand in it, which only seems fair. Seems crazy to us now that it wasn't allowed before that, but it has. I been mean, now. my my guess, and I haven't really followed it, but I think it's incredibly interesting because the NCAA uh, rules are often pretty antiquated. But I understand why they're doing it. They're trying to. Um, Hold on, protect, hold, on hold on to their money. Hold on to their money. Yes, hold on to their money. <laughs> yeah. So my guess is that they're going to allow uh, student athletes to get some money. Right. But the athletes that are good are clearly going to, and they're the ones that are going to get those endorsement deals, clearly going to opt for the NFL, the NBA, or to, to leave early, right? Because hmm. if you're making X in the NFL, you can make 10X or 20X, right? right? Even though if you're making a little bit in your collegiate years, you're right. going to make this much oh, when sure. you leave early right. and LeBron James and go to the uh, the NBA, right? Yeah, but yeah. of course it's the principle. You know, somebody's making money off of your name, your image. Uh, oh, totally agree. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, th- I think the counter argument to that was you got a scholarship. That's a lot of money too. I not yeah, that I, I not that I necessarily agree with that. I mean, yeah, yeah. it is true that you know that that is a lot of money, but. But imagine, I mean, how many millions are they making on, on you know? Right, and the so. the vast majority of these athletes got degrees that were worthless to them, you know, despite the fact yeah, that it might have a value yeah. in the marketplace. Right. But to them, it was probably worth not that much. And, and again, to Tom's point, a lot of them are only in school a couple of years, too, yeah. you know, so that, that chops that scholarship in half. You now, know, so. now, cycling, yeah. uh, at the level that we're talking about, the Tour of America's Dairyland, uh, I don't know the prize money exactly. We don't have to discuss the exact amount. But even the guys that are successful, they're not making a ton of money doing this. All these guys have got day jobs, obviously, right? So a lot of the, the guys are more of the guys are, are the women tend to have 
still be employed and have jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot more guys that are trying to make it, right? Because they're, you know, the 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 the, uh, the professionals pay scale is higher. Men's cycling is there, there's more of them making more money, so right. there's more uh, American men trying to make it, right. and they're the. This year, for the first time, we actually saw a decline in the number of pro women we had. Mm -hmm. And it's not indicative, we'll talk about that in a second, it's not indicative of where there's more women riding bikes and racing bikes right. than, than ever, but they might be doing gravel racing, they might be doing mountain bike racing, they may not be interested in doing our style of racing. We had the National Professional Championships down in Knoxville on our second weekend. Mm -hmm. But um, just as far as the pay scale goes, there's more guys trying to make it that are uh, putting off maybe college, putting off a career job to try to make it as a cyclist. Right, yeah. and largely because, like most sports, there's more eyeballs on the men's uh, side of the – You know, we just got done talking about the Tour de France. You can go on the internet and there's all sorts of podcasts and, and uh, videos devoted to the tour because there's a lot of interest in it. Well, there's a corresponding uh, tour this year for women, is there not? I, I think last year it started, if you guys right. remember, on the last day right. of the men's tour. Right. The women raced, I think, on the Champs-Élysées, and then they had a 10-day tour. Yeah. And the, the numbers of the, the media and the, and the uh, live streaming numbers for women's cycling is growing faster than men. But it's still a fraction. Coming, it's still coming a fraction from of, of almost zero, right, right, compared to the men who have been there for many years. Right, right. Yeah. So these guys and gals that are that are doing well in your in your uh, event here, uh, a number of them. This is this is their full time thing that they're chasing. Have you had big names in the last couple of years that have gone on to bigger things, say in the tour? Yeah, we've had it both ways. We've had Tour de France riders here. We've had, in fact, I think we had a couple this year. That were ex Tour de France riders towards the twilight of their career. Mm -hmm. um, we had, I think, Robert Sierra won two stages. He's Venezuelan. Mm -hmm. He's ridden the Tour and the Vuelta and all that. But you know, again, he's now sort of uh, settled in America as a family, mm -hmm. and he's sort of at, at the twilight of his career. We've had riders the opposite way start, you know, race with us and go on to the steps it takes to be in the Tour. So what if, we. What about local rider Matt Boucher? Was he uh, ever in the – who went on to uh, ride the tour once? Was he ever in uh, Super Week or in – Yeah, um, so interestingly, our first race of Toad mm -hmm. 14 years ago was a road race out in Blue Mounds, very tough course. Right. We raced on what would have been the Olympic course for Chicago. So if Chicago right. won the Olympics – Chicago Olympics, yeah. They were going to oh, okay. do the road race, the, oh, the cool. bicycle road race outside of Madison because it's the only place they could get – decent hills right so we had we were like a test event for a test event for a test event the next year right if they had earned the berth but they didn't get the berth but our first race of our first year matt boucher won it okay. and that was sort of cool. he didn't ride it too many times after that because again he was drafted you know mm -hmm. when they see talent he got drafted quickly by trek segafredo and once you're off to Europe, you rarely can come back to ride the Tour of America's Dairyland because we're during the build-up period for all these tour teams. You know, right. Quinn Simmons can't be here. All the, the the top guys are getting ready for the tour. Have you uh, chatted with Cavendish at all? Heard about him? He's, you know, <laughs> tail end of his career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he's going to wrap here. his career up in yeah. next yeah. year's yeah. Tour yeah. of America's yeah. Dairyland. Yeah, Maybe that, next year. Cool. Yeah. 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 You know, I uh, 
now we talked about how we want to get in the state of cycling nationally. Your race has been successful. In the United States, there's been a series of attempted stage races that uh, last for six, eight, ten years, and then they, they peter out. Tour of California was around for a while. Tour of Georgia, Tour of Utah, Tour of Colorado. Um, is stage racing ever going to be a thing in the United States? It seems to not catch on. Yeah, it's, it's very tough to produce these. You know, the juice is not worth the squeeze for the promoters that are putting these on. You know, as purists in the sport, we want to see these races have success. But whether it's uh, the my my co-founders and promoters of the Tour of America's Deerland or other races around the country, it's just very difficult, expensive um, to put on road races and especially stage races, right? Mm-hmm. There's about um, six really good stage races in the United States um, that are each about four days long. Right now, we don't have a week-long tour, I Mm -hmm. I don't believe, a stage race, Um, like the Tour of Colorado, like the Tour of California. We don't even have one. Tour Mm -hmm. of Utah, uh, Tour of DuPont, Tour of Missouri, Tour tour of Georgia. Georgia. These were all almost in my day. And in Mm -hmm. my day, we probably had – so if there's six really quality four-day events, there were probably – you know, 20 in my day. So mm. you had a lot more choice. You had the Coors Classic in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think just the the cost to close roads now, the, you know, it's very difficult. Whereas a criterium like what we do in the Tour to, of America's Dairyland, it's a one-mile closed course. Once you close that course, do the detours, you're, you've got a race, right? Right. So it's yeah, a, yeah. a version of road racing, but it's not the traditional mountain stage race on time right the big difference we're like nascar points. we're on points ricky yeah. bobby you know we're right. we're all ricky bobby all the time and as yeah. much as i'm sure that you like and love uh, the tour of america's dairyland i'm sure there's a part of you that wishes it was a stage race uh, you know in a traditional sense it just can't be done i would love to see you know classic road racing but again it's not it's not part of our culture in america i watched um, last weekend were all the national championships. You know, Pogachar right. won his national championship on the road in time trial. Quinn Simmons won the road race. Uh, um, Down in Knoxville. Yeah, Knoxville. Uh, McNulty um, won the time trial. McNulty won the time trial. I'm trying to remember the woman that won, of course. Um, she's on the pro tour. The, the point is, uh, it's just hard to get stage races off the ground. It's hard to keep stage races going. Yeah, the know? big thing is, obviously, if you've got a city center circuit race, You've got all the sponsors right there. They see their benefit by having the eyeballs right in front of their establishments. You've got all the signage that they everybody's looking at all day long. You get a stage race where somebody starts and walking, goes to Madison. Well, that mm-hmm. 80 miles in between, there's not much going on. There's not much opportunity f- to generate revenue for the race. Yeah, and this is, and what I was going to say is I watched some of, I've been watching now playing catch up on some of those national championships. Mm-hmm. I, I clicked. Italian National Road Championships, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew I was either going to watch the road, the men's or the women's. Well, they were going to show the women's. It was one of the most exciting, you know, battle, head-to-head battle between the two Trek Segafredo riders and a couple of the, the pro women's teams. And the cameras were in there for the action. Phenomenal television. Right. You know, just mm-hmm. television production. And on a big circuit in Italy, somewhere near uh, uh, La Garda, Lake Garda, right. up in the north. And um, 
you know, but to the Italians, they were glued to the television watching that national championship. You know, it's part of their culture. Right. Mm -hmm. It was, and that goes on in the Belgian championships, the French championships, the American championships. You know, if you look at our our viewer numbers, it's nothing like you know the the uh, Slovenian championships. Mm -hmm. You know, anywhere cycling is a big sport. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. we're talking football, baseball, yep. basketball, hockey, yep. uh, tennis, golf. Uh, those things are just larger than cycling. In Europe, there's this tradition of these of these in events that people uh, gravitate towards. Although even in those countries, I think the you look at the you look at the the crowds seems to skew older. It doesn't seem it's it, it maybe it's just my imagination, but I wonder how strong it'll be in the future because I see a lot of old faces at those uh, start finish lines. A lot of people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, watching these races. You don't see it's not populated by all young people that you might see at a different event. Yeah, so um I'd like I'd like to know the statistic the where this trend is going. But when you look at the quality of the television, just watch the Tour de France television. Mm -hmm. You're looking at a travel log. You're looking at a sales pitch for tourism to come to yeah. France, right? You're looking at castles. You're looking at beautiful glamour shots. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden there's a high-speed, you know, dramatic bike race going through it. And that's <laughs> what all these countries are doing, whether it's the Vuelta, the Giro, the Classics. They're selling their it's it's a tourism promotion, and so I sure. think that's really helped because when you look at the stadium that we play in, mm -hmm. that cycling plays in, right. it's not boring, you right. know, mm -hmm. it's pretty cool, and yep. that's what they have to use as the backdrop. So that's really been something I think for global um, viewership has really helped. You know, who doesn't? In you know, they're watching the Tour de France in Japan, mm -hmm. in Asia, and Australia, around the world because of the drama that you see, it's always changing, always different. So I think that's yeah. been a highlight. And those helicopter shots of the mountains. And, right. Yeah. And I think that is to your point of the sponsors not having people, you know, not having themselves in, in your face. When you're doing, basically, it's the country is sponsored, mm -hmm. right? So there, when you see the countryside and all these right, shots right. about tourism, that's that's the sponsor, essentially, at that point. Right, right. right. In, mean, in, the, in, in the tour, uh, again, their model, business model, like you said, the cities are paying for this. Uh, the start uh, start locations, the finish locations, and of course the teams are are multinationals. Of course, you got a lot of uh, Middle East money coming in here now, like there is in a lot of sports. Um, but you still don't see, you know, that is a question, and we're getting almost to the end of it here. But you know, does a sport need to grow? the The obvious answer is yes. A sport does need to grow. Jim was talking about how F one is using marketing through mm -hmm. Netflix and documentaries to help grow their sport, and you're starting to see that with the, with uh, cycling here as well. The idea that I think people such as myself and maybe you here, Tom, that you know this is our fun little sport that we've kind of it's a niche thing, and we kind of like it being that way, but. Sports don't survive like that. You can't just have a small niche and hope it's going to keep going forward. You got to grow the sport, and I'm sure you're working on that here locally. Yeah, and you have to bring in young, younger uh, riders because you know people age out. You have to constantly be be bringing up in new um, new users, and probably gravel is bringing in a lot yep. of new users right now. And you know, when people love riding bikes on gravel, they're going to eventually like riding bikes on the road too. Mm -hmm. So if all the people that are doing gravel events now are, are I, I look at whether you're on a mountain bike or you're on gravel or you're doing a Fondo or you're doing a Criterium, you're still 
uh, a bike enthusiast, and mm-hmm. you're you're always going to come back to road racing because right. it's the most abundant uh, surface we have, the most abundant, you know, and, and we're building more bike paths right. in our bike infrastructure. More people are commuting, so I think overall we're in a good place. But you're right. I think that the takeaway for me is always how do we get you know new users and and younger people in cycling too. And I think and I think, I think that's what yeah what I was saying before is the F one thing. Go back to that thing. Right. Formula One was I mean I never even heard of it and they got this Netflix show for the last five years and now we got suddenly we got three Formula One races in the country Austin Miami Vegas you know so and it's a huge I mean you see people wearing gear about F Formula One and. The the point of this is I see they have this Tour de France thing on Netflix mm-hmm. now, which I tried to start watching today and I didn't get to it. But uh, but it looks I mean I saw a little preview for it and it looks cool and you make it look dramatic and you you know you have these the, you can see the inside stories and you can start understanding what's going on and and if it's on Netflix people are going to start watching this and and I think the more that people understand and learn about something like that then you know that that interest grows and and if they do this for three four five years. I mean, you might see something like that come come here. But I, I was going to say, yeah. you almost had a fan in Jim when you said the Fondo races. It's not Fondue, right. just oh, uh, oh, for Jim's, oh, uh, yeah. because he was well, he, his eyes got yeah, wide right. there for oh, a second. Yeah, right. I th- I'm thinking <laughs> chocolate, you know, and strawberries. But, uh, but get back to what you said, uh, talk about Netflix. One thing that will help uh, if people watch something like Netflix is to figure out how this race is run. Mm-hmm. Because most people, when they start watching something like the tour, they figure it everybody in this race is trying to win the thing that's not true mm-hmm. you know you got 175 people there and to tell somebody that's a novice to watching cycling that of those 175 people you see only about 15 of them or 20 of them are really trying to win the race they think why why aren't they all trying to win the race yeah. you know yeah. and so if you watch something like this it explains all the races within the race Mm-hmm. Uh, that gives you something more to latch onto than just okay, one guy out of two hundred is going to win. Yeah. Because then it, then you think, well, you know, uh, then it, it kind of loses its context. So right, yeah, and you know, as a, a longtime racer, us as longtime riders and racers, mm-hmm. we take all that the strategy for granted. Right. But like to, to a new viewer, it's very complex with all the teamwork and the various strategies. And so I think I haven't seen the Netflix. Netflix um, uh, uh, tour uh, show yet, um, mm-hmm. but you know that's going to explain a lot of those nuances to people that yeah. that are difficult to understand. Right, no, right. no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's difficult for me, and yeah. I've been on this podcast for, <laughs> podcast for six years, and I don't understand exactly like, and and you know, again to your point, if if this is one thing too, if you can actually turn it on TV, right? Th- those guys are talking about the riders and stuff. I don't know that they necessarily have an opportunity to talk about the point system and who's, you know, the strategies with the teams and all this stuff that you guys talk about. Where I, and I'm sort of trying to compare this to football. You have a football game. You can stop in the middle of a play and explain, okay, so mm-hmm. this guy swept this way. That's this is why you use how you use alignment, et cetera, et cetera. It's maybe not like that with cycling. And hopefully, if the popularity grows with the show. Hopefully, we'll have more opportunities to watch it on TV, which is which is kind of one of the problems too. Right. Here is that you have to have some special channel right now right. to to be able to even watch these yeah, things. Yeah, it's a, you know? NBC. I think it's Peacock. Universe. You can yeah, you Peacock. subscribe to Peacock. Yeah, um, but the biggest thing that cycling's got going for it, it's a spectacle. Whether it be uh, the countryside, whether it be the mountains, whether it be watching this peloton that looks like a flock of birds as they all move through these corners and. Yeah. 
and you wonder and how they speeds. how they don't <laughs> crash. Yeah. You know, again, it's like watching. You know, you've seen those starlings flock in a in the sky and take all these turns. Watching a peloton is like that. It's it's this moving force that's very interesting to watch. Tom's part of that here in America. Tom Schuler, uh, the founder, the co-owner, co-developer of America's largest uh, week-long stage race, we'll call it, here in Milwaukee. Uh, thanks for being on our show, Tom. It's yep. been great Appreciate to be it, here. Uh, look, we look forward to the tour yep. uh, yeah. and the results yep. here coming up soon. So yeah. thanks again, Tom. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Join us next time on the Mate and Switch podcast when we talk with our friend David Williams. You've made it to the end of another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.